I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode of Speed Soldiers on the Fentanyl Epidemic. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We've lost too many lives to this dangerous drug. Most recently, actor and humanitarian Michael K. Williams and so many others. The death toll continues to rise. We don't want to lose any more people. And before you say this does not apply to me, this doesn't apply to anyone I know because I'm not a drug user. I don't take drugs. You need to know what's going on because you may be exposed to fentanyl and not even know about it. We're going to break it all down for you, what it is, what it does, why it's so deadly and why it's becoming so much more common with this amazing panel that we have for you today. Joining us is Dr. Adam Berman. He's the Associate Chair of Emergency Medicine at Northwell Health. Dr. Berman, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Also joining us is Ray Donovan. He's a special agent in charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration, New York Field Office. Ray, great to have you with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Also with us is Jillian Snyder. She's a policy director of criminal justice at the R Street Institute. She's a former NYPD officer and a lecturer at John Jay College. Jillian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. Ray, I want to start with you on this in terms of the overall danger of fentanyl and how available it is to people. Why did the DEA put out this warning recently? Well, we put out the warning, a national alert on fentanyl because the dangers and the threat is so high with 93,000 Americans that succumbed uh, to fentanyl last year alone. um, We thought it was important for us to really push out this message, um, really to to for families and for for parents, because we've seen a new trend taking place nationally, not only here in New York City, but we see the cartels are pushing more and more uh, counterfeit pills uh, into the market. And so the threat has risen from what it was um, years past. Jillian, we've seen a lot of uh, a, a lot of deaths to fentanyl on the streets. A lot of it with IV users who were using heroin that was laced with with fentanyl. You were on the NYPD as recently as a couple of years ago. What kinds of changes did you see on the streets in terms of how people were consum- consuming these drugs? Well, I worked in the South Bronx for most of my career, and most of the individuals there that were using it were substance abusers who didn't even know they were buying anything that was laced with fentanyl. Um, Generally speaking, they were going out there and buying bags of heroin that they unintentionally used and overdosed on subsequently. Dr. Berman, in terms of what fentanyl does, first of all, is it all illegal? Isn't some of it used in legitimate medical practice? Yeah, absolutely. Fentanyl is uh, a medication that we do use pretty regularly in the hospital, but we do know that the vast, vast majority of the fentanyl that's on the street that people are getting, whether they know it or not, is not hospital grade. It is not made for hospitals. It's made illicitly. So you're never really sure what you're getting um, when you buy fentanyl on the street. So is it used in the hospital? Do you use it in the hospital? Isn't it, is, wasn't it a painkiller or is it still used in the hospital to treat like cancer patients or something like that? We do use fentanyl um, pretty regularly in the emergency department in the hospital in general. Uh, fentanyl is a painkiller, but it has risks of decreasing your ability to breathe um, and making you unable to respond to stimuli around you which means that it's very easy for people to overdose and stop breathing on it. And not even not even understand what's going on in those final minutes. Jillian, in terms of the, the way the laws are around fentanyl, what do you see happening and what are your concerns? Well, honestly, we've over-criminalized fentanyl and not that I don't want to hold people accountable for what they're doing, but we, we're treating it more as a tough-on-crime approach, which historically we know doesn't work. 
And subsequently, we're just locking up lots of people and they're not getting the treatment they need. And we need to treat it more from a harm reduction standpoint or a public health standpoint, because ultimately what we want to do is we want to get the traffickers and get what they're bringing into the country. But most of the arrests are for those low level distributors or those using it. Um, according to the latest statistics, since they increased the schedule one for fentanyl and its analogs, only about 5.8% of those arrested are in for trafficking, which means everyone else arrested is just for use or low level possession. Ray, in terms of give us a give us an idea of, of where is this all coming from? Because I've been I was out on the streets in, in the South Bronx in one of the, the where the highest uh, death rate was a couple of years ago with the NYPD overdose squad as they as they were going around. That was a very different type of drug user than a, a suburban high school student or a suburban college college student. Where is all this fentanyl coming from? So uh, originally, the fentanyl was being produced in China. After May of 2019, that all changed. The Chinese decided to regulate fentanyl and all the variations of fentanyl. Now we see the precursors coming in from China to Mexico. From there, the Mexican cartels started producing fentanyl at very high rate because it's so lucrative. And these cartels are preying on Americans uh, all across America. And so for them, it's a business model. It's about just, it doesn't matter about people getting addicted. It's for them, they're just um, targeting of Americans for because it's so lucrative. Look, one kilo of fentanyl could generate millions of dollars. One kilo? That's right. Wow. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about the fentanyl epidemic. We'll be back right after this. Hey, what up, y'all? This is Lloyd, the King of Hearts, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people only on Hot 9-7. You dig? Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about the fentanyl epidemic. It is becoming a crisis in many communities and in places and to people who normally don't think of themselves as drug users. We're going to find out why. We're going to find out what can be done about it as well with our amazing panel. Joining me is Dr. Adam Berman. He's the Associate Chair of Emergency Medicine at Northwell Health. Dr. Berman, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Um, also with us is Ray Donovan. He's a special agent in charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration, New York field office. Ray, great to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Also with us is Jillian Snyder. She's a policy director of the of criminal justice for the R Street Institute. She's also a lecturer at John Jay College and a former NYPD officer. Jillian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Jillian, in terms of the pandemic, was there something that happened like is fentanyl like easier to traffic in, easier to bring into the into the country? I can't speak to its ability to get into the country, but I can say that opioid related deaths, I mean, they just climbed dramatically during COVID-19. And a lot of it could have, you know, could have to do with stressors people were facing or just economic uncertainty or um, unstable employment or any of those factors or people who were in remission or, you know, not using because they were clean, they might have turned back to it because they didn't know what else to do. But I couldn't really speak to that um, in terms of the trafficking ability. I would think that maybe it would be harder because we had so many things caught up shipment wise because it was coming from overseas. But maybe my colleague could speak to that. No, definitely. Sure. Well, let me, go, um, let me just ask you, though, Jillian, in, ter in terms in terms of the way you look at it, the way you study fentanyl, you study it in terms of how it's being used on the streets or how it's being uh, used in the pills and being being prosecuted. Give us an well, idea of that. Where I worked, I worked in the South Bronx in the Hunts Point area. We didn't see your traditional 
um, rural or suburban person using pilled fentanyl. We saw people that were buying heroin and they were getting laced heroin and they were dying. Um, but now what I do, because I study policy and I work in D.C. to advance, you know, pragmatic reforms in public policy, we don't think that over-criminalizing a substance, and again, I believe in holding traffickers to a very high standard and accountability, but the people who are suffering from abuse and the people who are unintentionally buying fentanyl, I don't think that they should be prosecuted as if they were traffickers, and that's what's happening right now. All right, Ray, and what do you think about that? So, so the DEA that we're not prosecuting drug users or individuals that are addicted to the substance. We go after the highest level traffickers in the world. And so, to circle back on the previous question, how is the primary means by which the drugs are coming into the country right. are through ports of entries or through tunnels? And so, the cartels build into their business model of losing a certain amount of their loads as they push them through the POEs. And so, you have a hundred thousand cars coming into the country just by one port of entry in Tijuana, San Diego. Um, you know, within that, you're going to have a certain amount of illicit drugs coming into the country because CBP, Border Patrol, they can't look at every vehicle and search every of course. vehicle. Right. right. So that's one of the primary methods. The other ones is tunnels. They'll build tunnels to send in thousands of kilos. And it's not only fentanyl, it's other drugs, it's heroin, it's meth as well. And so for us here in New York City, you know, we're targeting the highest echelon of traffickers here in the New York City area for that purpose. And anytime you take down a thousand kilos of fentanyl, you're saving lives. Right. Because a thousand kilos, that's a lot of uh, a lot of people and a lot of money off the street, too. That's right. Dr. Berman, in terms of people when they overdose on fentanyl and they come into the emergency department, give us an idea of what you see. What are they going through? I think the first point that I would make in response to what's already been said is that a lot of people, um, and has been alluded to, is that a lot of people who are overdosing on uh, fentanyl don't know that they're overdosing on fentanyl. They think that they're buying heroin. They think that they're buying other things. There's a significant amount of fentanyl in substances that people are buying, and they don't even know they're getting it. But if somebody does come into the emergency department and they've overdosed on fentanyl, we have medications that we're able to give. The one that people are most familiar with is naloxone or Narcan. Right. Um, can be given in an IV, can be given uh, as a nasal spray, helps to reverse the effects of the fentanyl. But the problem is a significant number of people who die from fentanyl overdoses die in the field before they ever get to the hospital because it is so potent and can kill you so quickly. Does it just shut down? Like, how, how does it... Does it just like stop your heart? Does it like stop? How does it work so quickly to kill? Like, how could it kill you that fast? Fentanyl um, decreases your ability to breathe. It's pretty oh, wow. that simple. It stops you from breathing. Once you stop breathing, you're not getting oxygen. When you don't get oxygen, your heart stops. So it really is that straightforward. It stops you from breathing. All right. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, 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 yeah. Salute. This is General Steel from Smith & Wesson. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers with your girl, Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, and real people. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. In this episode, we're talking about the fentanyl epidemic. Joining me for this conversation, Dr. Adam Berman. He is the Associate Chair of, Emer of Emergency Medicine at Northwell Health. Dr. Berman, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Also with us is Ray Donovan. He's a special agent in charge of the Drug, Drug Enforcement Administration, the New York Field Office. Ray, thanks for being with us. 
Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Also joining us is Jillian Snyder. She's a policy director of criminal justice at the R Street Institute. She's also a lecturer at John Jay College and former NYPD officer. Jillian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Ray, in terms of the in, in, in terms of the way that it's coming in, like the fentanyl, if, if it's synthetic, we hear it's synthetic. So can it be made anywhere? Well, I mean, it, it can, it's being made in Mexico right now in clandestine laboratories in certain cities in certain areas where the cartels are strongest. Um, and, and once it's made, it's being mass produced. And it's really being made in two different ways, right? It's being made in powder form and now more and more the pill form. They're actually converting that into a counterfeit pill so that they could smuggle it easily into the country. So that's how it's coming in. Jillian, in, in terms of the in terms of the laws, because you study the impact of the laws on the on the community, what what do you see that could be done to, to stop it? I mean, how do you actually stop it? Because people say, well, you get rid of one drug enterprise. There's another one that springs up to take its place. No. And I think, honestly, what our federal government is doing is is really trying to, you know, get in the middle of the traffickers bringing the substance in. And I'm in agreement with that. I think that should be our number one focus and our number one priority. But at the local and municipal level, we still have a lot of officers who are just out there on the street and they're just locking up the low level possessors, which I think we should, you know, reallocate resources to focus on who's bringing it in. And because those that are bringing it in are generally not the people using the substance and dying from it. And then, and Dr. Berman, in, in terms of the, the these these fake pills that are being used that we're talking about that are, you know, that contain fentanyl and people think they're taking something else, have you seen cases like that? Yeah, I mean, we've seen cases like that. The truth is, is that we've probably seen a lot more cases than we even know of because most people who come to the hospital thinking that they've overdosed on something, um, in many cases, think that they took one thing, but but actually in reality had something completely different. And is there any way to know what you're actually getting or taking? So um, interestingly, fentanyl does not show up on the routine drug screens that we do in most hospitals. It can be tested for in blood or urine on like more specific testing, but it's not something that would show up right away. Um, it can be tested in more advanced labs, but that takes time. It's not usually clinically helpful. Um, so we are usually treating patients just on a, a clinical suspicion based on the story or the way that they look clinically when they come to the hospital. And when they're coming in and what are you seeing certain age groups? Are you seeing certain demographics? What are you, what are you seeing come into the ED? I mean, uh, in terms of the fentanyl, we're seeing the same demographics that we see using heroin. It's, um, you know, starting in people younger and younger, moving into middle age. We're unfortunately seeing people now who are, are older than middle age who are using it as well. Unfortunately, it doesn't um, seem to fit uh, any one specific area that we can target. It really doesn't discriminate. Ray, what do you what do you see in terms of the, the use? Because we, we, we recently saw, may he rest in peace, uh, Michael K. Williams, the famous actor, very talented actor and beloved member of the community here in New York who did so much for the for the youth and for a lot a lot of people that we you know that we didn't even know about until after he he passed away the the medical examiner said he died from an overdose of of you know cocaine and heroin and also fentanyl is that is that mixing becoming more common because a lot a lot of people will say well you know I got it from my regular dealer so they've never you know they've never screwed me in the past so 
I trust them. But what do you say to that when you hear that? I, I say, first of all, there's no quality control on these substances that are being dispensed in the street. Let's let, let, let me just be upfront up with you. And so more and more, we're seeing organizations and criminal networks that are doing exactly that. They want to make a certain substance stronger or the feeling to be different. So they add fentanyl to it. Originally, when the cartel started doing this, they were adding fentanyl to heroin back in 2012 to make the heroin stronger. And then the demand for uh, synthetic opioids like fentanyl started to increase. So even this year in New York, our seizures of, of heroin are way down and our seizures of fentanyl are way up. So, so we see a gradual change. So what's out there on the streets is getting more and more potent. Is that what you're saying? That's right. It is getting more and more potent. And one, one other thing I'd add, Lisa, is that we're starting to see the convergence of markets. And what I mean by that is you have the street hardcore user that will go to a street corner and buy their, their fentanyl. Uh, they call it China white often. And then you have now the social user on the weekend who thinks that they're taking Xanax or Adderall or Percocet or some other uh, drug. And in fact, they're taking fentanyl. And so the methodologies are even different too, because they're they're reaching into people's homes via social social media and other online um, chat rooms. Dr. Berman, what about that social that social use? Like people, I mean, it, it is, it, it's also too like socially with certain demographics, like with, with very young people, they'll they'll take a pill. They may not touch alcohol. They may not even want to smoke, you know, smoke weed, but they'll take they'll take a pill and won't think twice about it because they think it's relatively safe. Right. You're, you're right. We have seen a significant drop in specifically within adolescents and young adults, the usage of alcohol and cigarettes even. But that void has been filled with other, you know, with illicit substances. Um, again, I guess I'll repeat that people just don't know what they're getting. And so you may get lucky and use something and be all right, but you just never know when the next time could be, you know, a lethal dose and kill you or a friend. Absolutely. Jillian, in terms of the, you, you talk about harm reduction. I've done a number of stories and reports for Fox 5 News on it. And in terms of the efforts that are out there on the street, why do you think that's the approach? Because there's, there's people in the community that say that may be a medically sound approach, but it, just, it the areas where they're doing it, it really impacts the people who are not addicted to drugs, who are just trying to live their lives. Well, I mean, I'm talking about a very specific type of user that I think would be, you know, that would benefit from a harm reduction approach. As Dr. Berman just said, adolescents are using pills now. What they're doing is they're going to their parents' medicine cabinets, essentially, and they're getting whatever pills they could find. We used to go in and knock down doors to pill parties, they would be called. It'd be all the kids in the neighborhood would take pills from their parents or their friends' parents because they assume putting them in a bowl, if they came out of a medicine vial, they were probably safe and they wouldn't overdose. Whereas they would look down on the user on the street who was buying a little bag of heroin and shooting it into his or her arm. Um, but I'm saying for harm reduction approach, those social users really aren't who I'm discussing. I'm talking about the person who is severely reliant on heroin and, and the ones that are unintentionally ingesting or consuming fentanyl or any other kind of analog. Okay. <laughs> Oh, go ahead. I was going to say that I think you bring up a good point in harm reduction. Um, when people talk about harm reduction, they talk about harm reduction versus complete abstinence. And we know that abstinence is really not the reality for many, many people. Um, if we're going to sort of kind of recognize and admit to ourselves that people are going to continue to use substances, whether we want them to or not, we want it to be as safe as possible. And that's where harm reduction comes in. 
But what about with the pills when you don't know what what's in them and when they're when they're counterfeit? Ray, are some of these counterfeit pills finding their ways into legitimate pharmacies even? Well, I wouldn't say they're they're making their way into pharmacies, but they're they're so accessible now more and more. This last year, we seized about 400,000 pills alone here in New York City. Um, and it, it seems to me to be the upwards trend that more and more individuals are willing to utilize these pills because they think it's something else and they grew up maybe taking Adderall or Xanax or something. So they're comfortable with it. The other thing is the pills look exactly like legitimate pharmaceutical. And so they appear to be exactly what they're known or they knew in the past when they were taking a legit pharmaceutical. So the threat is, is rising. Uh, we don't see it in, in pharmacies per se, but we certainly see it throughout the streets of New York City. And then in terms of, go ahead, Jerry. I just wanted to say something to add on to what Ray said, and you had said it earlier. Um, you may go to a steady dealer all the time, but there's such a hierarchical structure within the drug trade that that low-level dealer might not know that what he's selling someone on the street is fentanyl. You know, because again, there, we said there's no quality control structure within the drug trade. Right. It's not like you can get an agree. You know, here's the list of ingredients on the back on the on the back of this you know bottle of juice or whatever it is. Ray, in terms of the size of the pills and the way they look, does that make it easier? Like what impact does that have on the way that it's being trafficked? Because, you know, we always think of like heroin and there's the bricks and there's the duct tape and, you know, those, right. those images that we see in the shows and the uh, in the films. The primary means by which the traffickers smuggle narcotics into our country is through the ports of entries and in vehicles. And so because they're now producing these mass producing these pills, um, they could secrete them in different cavities throughout a vehicle or track the trailer and, and literally pump in thousands, hundreds of thousands of pills. Um, that's what that that's why they're doing it. Now, I already said one kilo could generate about three million dollars. Wow. So one kilo of fentanyl. And then the, like the pills sell for like twenty dollars, thirty dollars or as, as, as little as eight dollars, as much as thirty dollars. Wow. All right. We're talking about the fentanyl epidemic. What you need to know. I'm Lisa Evers, your host for Street Soldiers. We'll be back right after this. What up? This is Trey Songz and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, real people only on Hot 9-7. Welcome back to this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about the fentanyl epidemic. It is taking more and more lives and you may be exposed to it and not even realize it. Realizing it. Joining me for this conversation is Dr. Adam Berman. He's the Associate Chair of Emergency Medicine at Northwell Health. Dr. Berman, thanks so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Also with us is Ray Donovan. He's just he's the special agent in charge of the Drug Enforcement Administration, New York Field Office. Ray, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Also with us is Jillian Snyder. She's the policy director of criminal justice for the R Street Institute, former NYPD officer, and also a lecturer at John Jay College. Jillian, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We appreciate it. Jillian, there's some, some new measures being considered by Congress in terms of fentanyl. Can you give us an idea of what they're talking about in general? Well, they have a temporary order in effect right now. It started a few years ago, and it is the Fight Fentanyl Act that made fentanyl and any of its analogs a Schedule One narcotic. So because, as Dr. Berman had said, fentanyl is widely used in the medical field, it was never a Schedule One. It was always a Schedule Two. But because the federal government really wants to infiltrate the trafficking trade and, you know, make the consequences more severe in terms of bringing those drugs into the country, they did elevate it to a Schedule One, which, of course, would then activate many minimum mandatory sentences. And, you know, it's still we were just ruling on it a couple of weeks ago. They 
of a lot of groups, a coalition of all different ideological spectrum nonprofit think tanks came together and were basically like making it a schedule one is saying it has no recognized medical use amongst other things. And this isn't the proper way to treat it. Of course, yes, it's illegal to be using consuming on the street and buying it from your dealer. But at the same time, making it a schedule one and then arresting people federally for it, the users specifically, it's really over criminalizing the substance. So when you say schedule one, just so we understand, that means it would activate or be eligible for much more severe federal penalties, like longer jail sentences and that type of thing. Yes, that's correct. But I mean, it's it's a temporary order, which was due to actually expire this month. Um, last time I heard it was actually extended into early next year, and then it will be decided on again. All right. Dr. Berman, what about what about that? Does that impact you medically at all? The, the medical use of it at all with the, the change in the scheduling or the, what the schedule is, schedule one or schedule two? It doesn't have an effect on how we use the medication medically. Um, but I think that it's, uh, you know, it's only one part of the two-pronged approach. We have to deal with it legally, but just as importantly and possibly more importantly is dealing with it on the medical side to get people who are using this and who are sort of dependent on this substance the treatment that they need so that they're not uh, either getting into the legal system and then going back to using it after they're out of the system. Um, there are lots of things that we can do to take care of patients who use fentanyl and who are um, dependent on fentanyl or other opiates. And if we're just criminalizing it and not helping to treat it as the disease that it is, we're not really going to, to have improvement. And you see people that are addicted to fentanyl and surviving it over a certain period of time? Sure. We see people who are using heroin, heroin that's laced with fentanyl, all of these, you know, substance users, um, they don't always die, but there are plenty of downstream long-term effects to their lives and the lives of their families that are really devastating. And so um, we obviously want to prevent people from dying, but we'd also like to improve their quality of life. And that's why treatment of this as a disease is really important. And do they build up, a, does your body build up a tolerance to fentanyl like it does to heroin or alcohol or, you know, anything Absolutely. else? Absolutely. Um, patients or, or users rather, people who are uh, substance users will need you to use more and more in order to get the same effects over time and often can get into trouble because of that. So true that when they say, okay, we'll, we'll try this, it's got fentanyl and it, it's going to have a real kick to it or get you, whatever it is, get you really off, whatever the term is. That's that's more attractive to a user, obviously. Right. A high, right. To have more of a high is more attractive. Absolutely. Ray, you were involved in in the leader the leader of the team. I think that that took down El Chapo. Is that right? That's right. I was part of the team that went after El Chapo. And then it, we've seen. I mean, so many so many of us have seen like documentaries and news reports and and even fictional things of of how that happened and how he was trafficking. What do, has have things changed now, or what do you what do you see happening now? Well, the one thing that I would say about in regards to El Chapo is that El Chapo was one of the first people to really lace heroin with fentanyl, and so he really and the Sinaloa cartel launched this. I mean, he started this, and he passed it down to his sons and to his organization. And so we've seen the growth of that in synthetic um, um, drugs really being mass produced in Mexico. And he was one of the lead uh, people behind that. Uh, the change from then to now is 
we're seeing more and more synthetics coming into the United States. So it's not only fentanyl, it's methamphetamine, it's cannabinoids, it's other lab, it's other clandestine laboratory produced um, drugs. So they can make these drugs in laboratories. They don't need to have like a big growing field or anything like that. Well, that's the that's the challenge for law enforcement, because, you know, if you wanted to make a, a kilo of heroin, it would take you about four months of cultivating and then uh, turning it into uh, paste and then ter- refining the heroin. And so now with with uh, fentanyl, you don't need to do that. You can buy all the precursors and make it um, around the clock. And so that's that is the, the challenge that we face. And a lot of the seizures that have happened have been with fentanyl of fentanyl here in New York City. That's right. So our our seizures of fentanyl, we're over a thousand kilos, about a hundred kilos a month of fentanyl that we're seizing here in, in New York City. And then in terms of in terms of the street distribution, is it are there certain gangs? Are there certain I mean, there was one crazy story in not too long ago, Westchester County. They they had rented a rented a house in a very nice uh, community, upscale community, but a house that was was being rented. And that was like their distribution point driving it in there in the axle of, of a truck and then distributing it from there and having their people come. Um, like, how is it getting out on the streets or like our typical new, new York, I mean, are the street gangs? The street so gangs so there's levels, there's actual levels to uh, distribution. So the lowest level is often street organizations or street gangs or, or network from a certain community. And then the, the next level up, they're going to be more the wholesale broker level. And so they, they are the individuals that are working directly into the cartel to receive a wholesale amounts of fentanyl and heroin into the city. So the people that are so the so the the teens that may be getting these pills in the suburbs, how are they getting them? They're getting it via social media often or through some other Internet uh, access point. So it'll be something like uh, they'll meet up with somebody and just do like a handoff or, or something like that. Right. So so the pills are really interesting because it's it's almost two different methodologies taking place. The street stuff is primarily going to be powder directly from the cartels. The pills are also from the cartels, but they're being uh, the individuals brokering those deals often are a little bit more sophisticated. They'll be uh, either in a dark web. They'll be on so uh, Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook. And they'll use uh, cash apps or uh, Zelle and other uh, financial apps to help move money. And so it's a, it's a growth. It's a younger narcotics trafficker that's really getting more and more involved with that methodology. And then a lot of like like individual entrepreneurs doing these 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 internet sales and social media sales, and from the actual communities where they're selling them. So it's got, they're going to reflect that whatever that demographic or population is. That's right, exactly. So gone are the days where if you wanted to be a drug trafficker, you had to visit. Mexico and really sit down with the cartel and they have to trust you. Those days are over. Now it's being done via the dark web. Jillian, in in terms of what do you think about that in terms of the uh, these distribution methods and in terms of the legislation and these policies that you're making and abiding on? It's changed so much over the last 20 years. I mean, and I'm sure Ray can attest to this. It used to just be your corner boy who would be selling. He'd go up to the, you know, re-up at the stash house, but that came from somewhere else. Now we have all these different methods for people to buy drugs. And again, it depends on if you're in the city or if you're out in the suburbs, you could order it through an app. You could pay with Bitcoin. It's so hard to try and like narrow down who you're getting it from, what you're actually getting. But again, there's different calibers of users. Um, Your people that live in Westchester or Rockland County, they're generally not going to go buy powder. They're going to buy pills because 
it's socially more acceptable to take a pill than it is to shoot something into your arm. But really, the the ultimate goal, like in public policy, or at least like I work for a center-right public policy organization. So we're about pragmatic solutions, practical solutions, and kind of doing what's best for everyone. So we know that locking up everyone for simple use is not effective, especially if they are a drug addict, if they suffer from this disease. In the last comprehensive study done last year, 77% of those that are in jail or prison overdosed, they had an unintentional fentanyl-related overdose while incarcerated. So, I mean, it's showing us that locking up the low-level users is not solving the opioid-related death crisis. All right. And so, obviously, like more treatment centers, residential treatment centers, that type of thing. And again, yes, that's for me, I think focusing on getting rid of the traffic in drugs, as we see the DEA is doing an excellent job, like that's the goal of law enforcement. We want to prevent it from getting into the country because once it gets in, then it's so much harder to figure out where it's going, who's, you know, who's going to be selling it on the street. But if we could just be that blockage between the cartel bringing it into the country, you know, we could protect a lot of people who abuse the substance. Dr. Berman, what, what advice do you have, especially for parents? Because there's, there's a lot of parents that watch and listen to our show as well. Kids 11, 12, 13 years old being exposed to other people, you know, to, to friends or the older brothers or sisters of friends that have these pills. Well, what advice do you have for them? What should they Fine. be telling their kids? My advice would be to really talk with your children about this, to explain that, you know, you may think that this is safe. Your friends might be telling you that this is safe, but it really isn't. And it only takes one unfortunate time of using it and using too much to kill you. Um, And in cases where people already are dependent on this and are using it significantly, there are very effective medications and whole systems of treatment that can really help people to turn their lives around. And I want people to know that that help is really out there. And then in terms of in terms of a loved one or just somebody, you know, in your in your family circle, work circle, social circle that is you that is using opioids. Are there certain certain uh, symptoms or certain signs that they should be looking out for in terms of their their behavior? No, that's a good question. But what I would probably say in response to that is that it really can look like anybody. It could be anybody. Um, you know, when people are intoxicated on an opioid, they they can have things like small pupils. They're more confused. They're not breathing normally. But um, those are the extreme cases. People who are using substances regularly are often living their lives, going to their jobs. You would probably not know. So we really have to kind of normalize it to make sure that people regardless of whether or not they're using, know that this is a disease that that can be treated effectively and that the stigma really should come down so that people can get the help they need. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Adam Bourbon, thank you so much for being with us. We we appreciate it. Uh, Ray Donovan, final word in terms of, you, are we getting more, is, is this just going to continue to grow? I mean, you guys are making a lot of bus, you're taking a lot off the streets, but what's actually going to stop these uh, the, the flood that's coming in? I think the first thing to circle back to what Jillian and Dr. Berman said is awareness. And we need to really get it out to our parents and even to the user that one pill can kill. And you don't want to put your life in someone else's hands. All right, Jillian, final word? Uh, No, I just, everyone should stay safe, honestly. And if you are suffering from substance abuse, seek help. There, There is treatment out there. 
Definitely. All right. I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, Dr. Adam Berman, Ray Donovan, Jillian Snyder. And thank you for joining us for this episode of Speed Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. Remember, use your mind as your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. Let's push for peace, love, and justice for all.